couple of weeks ago, I began this series on worship that I'm calling Gospel-Driven Worship. And if you'll understand a little bit more about that, why I might use that title um, next week, because this is not going to be the last installment. This is the third, but there'll be one more uh, before I move on to our exposition in the book of Ephesians. The first question in this series that we asked was, whom do we worship? In other words, we are, remember I told you, inevitable worshipers. The question is, whom or what do we worship? And then last week we looked at the elements of worship and that revelation response dialogue that goes back and forth that is often a part of worship. And that is more getting to the mechanics and the how-to. But today, we're going to ponder the question of why do we worship? Our scripture reading is, again, not something I will expound, but it really does set the stage very well as we get to peek into, as it were, the worship of heaven and see the worship and the glory that belongs to our great and triune God and Lord Jesus Christ and Holy Spirit. Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. Hear the word of the Lord. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Worthy is who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures, and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll, and from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, and when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voices of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor 
and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. May God add the blessing to the reading and the hearing of his holy word. Let us pray. Oh, Father, what a glimpse of what that worship is now in heaven and what it will be when we gather in that great assembly. Father, but now we're here with all our frailty and all our limitations, all of our distractions. Father, today will you show us more and more about the purpose for which we worship, the why of what we do in worship. Father, give us the help of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we lean into the accomplishments and the finished work of Jesus, our great captain and our worthy Savior and King of kings and Lord of lords. Be honored today, Father, and show us your glory, we pray, and be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. One of my, I guess you could say, primary or principal responsibilities as a pastor, and it is not just a responsibility, it is a great privilege to craft our worship services, our formal worship services in the church. Now, I don't do that alone. It's under the auspices of the entire session. But it is my particular role to get into the weeds, to get into the details and try to make sure that those things are coordinated with all our musicians and all the different people that, are, that play a part in making up and taking part in corporate worship. And as you're going to see today, it's a lot more, it should be a lot more than you think. It's not just a few. It is many, and indeed, as you'll see, it is all in a certain sense. Um, I love planning worship. I, I love participating in it from time to time. Even I get up here and try to do my uh, little, little bit that I know how to do. Uh, but I love being in the worship of God. It's something that I remember in my in college. Uh, there was, back then, in those days, uh, you could find churches that were open 24 hours a day. And uh, there was this little Methodist church that I remember my friends and some of us, and I did before I became a Christian, I didn't sing. I didn't know why. Why, why would you sing? You know, I just thought, that's for that's for everybody, somebody else, not for, not for me, not for a guy. And, uh, but I came to love singing the praise of God. And we'd go into, the acoustics were amazing in this old church. And some of us would go in and we would just sing for hours, hymns and psalms. And uh, as I was learning the, 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 uh, the, the praise of God's people. And uh, so, indeed, it's something that I, that I greatly love and, and enjoy. But there is an important truth that is often missed. Sometimes in our attempts to worship and attempts to prepare for worship, 
we may start with a good intent, but we often get sidetracked and get off where we should be and get wrapped up in our own satisfaction in worship. Whether or not we are being satisfied with what is going on in worship, we begin to put the focus on us and whether or not we are enjoying the worship rather than God. Too often, our worship is self-absorbed in nature. Some of you remember a song a number of years ago. Bet you think this song is about you, don't you? Don't you? You're so vain. You see, we can be so vain when it comes to the worship of God. We're, worship, we're to here, we are here to worship him. Today we're going to look at our purpose in worship, our position in worship, and then finally our presentation in worship. Again, being a little, little more practical, bringing it down. Let's think about for a few minutes our purpose in worship. Worship, put just as straightforward and bluntly, is for God. Not you and me primarily. Oh yes, as we'll see, there is a benefit, but that is secondary, tertiary, not primary. Worship is for God. It's all about him. It is important that we remember who initiated worship. Again, last week, what did we learn? We're looking at the elements. Who starts and calls us into worship? Is it us? Do we decide to? No, it's God. The call to worship of God's people throughout the ages has come from God. Calling his people, summoning them, beckoning them to come and worship and give him the glory that is due his name. It is God initiated. Remember last week in looking at that, that dialogue, that revelation and response. God speaks and we respond. In that we saw again how we must react to him. It starts with him, it ends with him, and it's all always about him, not you and me. In our text in Revelation that I read a little while ago, the church in heaven, the angels and the saints, they sing, worthy is the lamb who was slain. The church meets with the lamb and rejoices in what? His worthship. Remember, I said that the root of the word word is implying worthship. It's him that we are exalting, him that we are focused on, not primarily on ourselves. The word liturgy, remember, means the public service of the people. The official worship given by the people of God. That's what a liturgy actually is. It's how we arrange things for the people of God to give worship and praise and glory to God. Listen to this uh, from Romans chapter 11, verses 36. That's the great climax of where Paul is, is just going into doxology of praise. And then... He goes into chapter 12, and, and the subject's going to become more practical, but notice the transition. From Romans chapter 11, verse 36, through uh, uh, chapter 12, verse 1, 
Here's the praise, the doxology. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Now where does he go next? I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Yes, we gather and we exalt him, but we, it's our work. It's the work of the people to find creative ways that are God-glorifying, God-authorized, so that he may be praised and honored and worshiped as he should be. You see, worship can never be a passive observation on the part of the ministers or the musicians. And my friends, I'm sorry to tell you, but in many churches, they are more becoming that as opposed to that in which all the people of God join together in the work of worship and the praise of God. Too many people... Again, the purpose has been lost and the focus is upon those on the stage or those that are in lead positions at a given point in time. Worshippers are not spectators. Worship is not a spectator sport. Now, football is a spectator sport. All you've got to do is sit there and take it in and... Decide if you want to join in, how robustly. But it's not that way with worship. We are all to be engaged in worship. Worship, as I said, is not a spectator sport, but it's to have active participants working in their service to praise God. Some of you don't know this, perhaps, or maybe some of you do, um, we have a number of documents in the church, uh, things that help us you know, do certain things. You know, how to, uh, you know, we have, um, I'm trying to think, a, a building use policy. We have a lot, of, a lot of different documents that help us know how to stay on track of what we're trying to do. One of those that we have is the philosophy of worship and music. And, um, and I want to just quote one little small section from that document. <laughs> It's, it's about the whole idea of, again, the participation of God's people in worship. Again, not being spectators. Worship is the responsibility of all of God's people. Not just the pastor, not just the musicians, not just the deacons, not just... It is the responsibility of all the people of God. Worship is a verb, you ever thought about that? It's worship God. It's a verb. Worship God. The scriptures command us. It's a verb. It's something we do, not something we watch. Worship, therefore, is by its very essence participatory. You've heard me use that before. You've heard me talk about that, the importance of that. Worship is participatory. An important expression of the priesthood of all believers is that every individual has a vital role to play in corporate worship of the church. Romans 15 verses 5 and 6. Now, we don't all play the same role. We don't all play the same 
degree of role. Ours might be small. But instead of viewing ourselves as those that are in a concert, we are to see ourselves as finding creative ways to participate in the worship of God so that all of what we do in worship redounds to God's glory. And that's why we stress more and more that we have things in which there is, a, there is the ability to respond, to join in instead. Now, we do have special occasions. We have things in which we get to enjoy where we're not as active in. But the point is, more and more, worship is becoming a spectator sport in many of the churches of our land today. More and more, cross-denominational lines. It's becoming something like you would do in paying for a movie theater and you go watch the show or a performance. We are not here to perform or to observe a performance. We are here to participate in the worship of God. And that involves all the people. And we're going to continue here at FBC trying to find creative ways that we can do that. How can we get more and more of you that are in the auditorium or in the fellowship? You joining in and joining in with us participating in the worship of God. You see, we have this as our purpose and our focus. And when we do, if we do this, keep it will be something that will have impact. Listen to this quote by uh, William Temple. He said, to worship, if we truly worship, and if our, if our eye is on the right object, to worship is to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to feed the mind by the truth of God, to purge the imagination by the beauty of God, and to open the heart to the love of God. And devote the will to the purpose of God. In other words, that's, that's what we're here to do. It's not about what we are here to enjoy. Now, again, do we get satisfaction? Do we get joy? Or do we find, find a number of things here that are blessings to us? Of course. But if that's what we look for, if that's what we're trying to create, it will elude us. It's only when... God is in his proper place in worship, then do we benefit from that ourselves in a secondary way. Now, let's think for a moment about our position in worship. And this again, this is just, a, this is just one. I'm only going to just touch on one thing, that, that there are a lot of these things that are important in order to have authentic and biblical worship. Our position in worship, what do I mean by that? Our position in worship should be one of balance often between a number of different things that take place in worship. And I just want to focus on one of those. Or we could call them, sometimes you've heard me refer to these things as tensions. Tensions in worship, where you've got something over here that looks like one thing, and then you've got something over here that's a part of sometimes in worship, and you'd think those things don't somehow have any connection. They don't belong together. But the truth is, in real biblical worship, those things often come together and converge or meet and kiss one another. Though they are different, they bring something very important about understanding the worship of God. And so a lot of things in worship are intention. 
But that's not a mistake. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. And I'm giving you the illustration of just one of those right now. The most effective worship service leaves the worshiper with a profound sense of having been in the presence of God. Being in his presence and adoring his splendor and his transcendence. You've heard me use that word before. Transcendence. What is that? That's otherworldliness. Out of this world stuff. Transcendence is above and beyond us. Not something that comes from us. It's something we, we glory in. Something we are amazed at and awed by. But that is part of worship. And many churches are very good at that element of giving God praise that is transcendent. Giving him worship that is transcendent. But there's also another important element. Another side of that tension. And that is, not only do we come to God to adore and extol him for his transcendence, but we also come to Love him and respond to him in gratefulness for his eminence. Eminence means nearness, presence, with us. God, Emmanuel stuff. God with us, Emmanuel. That's the eminence. God calls upon us to rejoice in the receiving of his mercy and grace, and knowing him as a loving, good father. A loving, good father. Now, those things seem to be a thousand miles apart. This great, glorious, transcendent other God that is not like anything that in this creation or in any creation. And on the other hand, this one who comes in helplessness, to redeem us and bring us back to the heart of the Father and calls us sons and daughters. That, those are two very different pictures, but they both are important and essential to make their way and dance in various ways in our worship. Now, sometime it might be one week that worship might be leaning more on the transcendent side. And then another week, it might be leaning more on the imminent, near love side. Both are important. And sometimes they can dance together in the same service in various ways. And that's just one example of a number of tensions that the Bible gives us in the examples of worship and the things we do in worship, how we can marry those things. That's important that we have a position that keeps the tensions there. Instead of saying, no, we're just going to do this and we're going to forget about that and let somebody else do that. That is a big mistake, my brothers and sisters. We are called to worship God in his eminence and in his transcendence. And that example goes on. Our philosophy of worship and music maintains that. And it's very important that we do. We celebrate the transcendence Think, think of this. Listen to this. Celebrating God's transcendence apart from God's eminence diminishes the gospel. If you just do the transcendent celebration, where's the gospel? God's holy, God's awesome, God's glorious, but that doesn't help sinners. 
celebrating God's eminence apart from transcendence leads to triteness in worship. If we don't have and remember that God is also transcendent, we, if we just think and focus on the eminence alone, then we'll begin to think buddy-buddy notions of God. Well, Jesus is our best friend. He's our, he's our sidekick. You get trite. You get trivial. We need to keep both. They are important to authentic worship. Celebrating both God's transcendence and eminence leads to authentic biblical worship that is one, God-glorifying, Two, satisfying for believers and amazingly compelling to seekers. When we really are living with both of those realities, worshiping God in his transcendence and in his eminence, it's a powerful thing that gives glory to God, helps edify us, and also has a way of saying, what, what is this? This is, not, this is not the way it is normally. You guys are doing something that I haven't encountered before. Remember, Paul talked about that in Corinthians, and he said, when the person outsider comes in among you, and when he sees it, he's going to say, whoa, God is here in this place. He's, he's among us. I've, I've touched something that is beyond the normal because he's entered into a worship in which both of those things are true and are maintained. Now, what about our presentation in worship? Understanding the purpose of worship and in the position in worship leads us to what we could call the presentation. Um, I said worship is an action. It's a verb. It's an activity that requires preparation and attention and understanding and exertion. Uh, you know, kind of like the difference between watching and playing football. <laughs> Some of you are any other sport, tennis, you know. If you ever you ever you can watch it looks so effortless out there. You know, it's it's one thing to watch those folks glide around on the tennis court. You ever try to do that? <laughs> it's not that easy. I, I've tried to play that game uh for a long time and I, I got better at it, but I, I never never really uh went very far. I still uh, I was not likely to uh, to win against anybody decent at, at that. It's but it's a whole different game, and so it is here. Sunday worshipers often miss this important concept. How often do you hear somebody say, "Well, you know, I just didn't get much out of the service today," um, or "You know, I didn't like the songs or the hymns that they chose today. I just wish they would sing the ones I like." Or stuff like that. You've heard that kind of thing. You probably have thought those things like we all have. My friends, again, the point of this message today is what? It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about what you like. It's not about what I like. Preferences are abundant. They're like noses. Everybody has one. And you know what? I'm not saying you can't keep yours. But understand what it is. And don't let it stand in the way of what is more important. You see, God is the one who's supposed to get something out of the worship service. Do you understand that? It's for him. It's for his pleasure. 
His glory, his honor. He's the one that's the principal target of what we do in worship. Not you and not me. That's hard to remember. It's hard to do. Do you know that hymns and songs are sung primarily for whose enjoyment? God's. Now, do you maybe enjoy them too if they happen to be something? Of course. There's a side benefit to you. But if you come in with, I'm not going to worship unless I get to have what I want in worship, we've got it backwards. And we're not going to worship well. Worship is responding to God, not talking to ourselves. Try thinking of a worship service like this. Think of it for the moment, even though I told you it's, it is, we want our services to be dominated by participation, participate, participatory worship. We want them to be where we're all engaged in more ways than sitting watching something on the stage. And yet, for this illustration, Think of a dramatic presentation. Someone is preparing a dramatic presentation. It requires a lot of skill. It requires a lot of practice. Um, and there are a lot of different elements that are involved in this particular presentation. But if it's a worship presentation, here are the, the cast of people involved. And notice the roles that they play. Here are the parts in a worship service. Who's the director? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in each worshiper's heart. He's the one that we should pray before we ever come. Lord, help me to worship. Help me to see you in your glory. Help me to honor you. Help me to have my focus on you, not on myself. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. So he's the director of the whole thing. Notice that we call the thing we do on next Sunday night concert of prayer. It's concert, not because it's a concert like as in um, uh, a, you know, a, a rock concert or something like that. It's a concert where there is something being orchestrated, and that is by the Holy Spirit. We're asking that he would orchestrate and pull our prayers together and weave them into a sacrifice of praise to God and to something that helps and edifies, glorifies God and edifies his people. So... In this dramatic presentation, you have a director in worship, and that's the Holy Spirit. What if the plot? What's the plot? Plots are important to, to a story, right? You've got, got to have a plot. The glory of God is the plot. <laughs> that God will be glorified. The ultimate worship goal, that God will be praised and glorified. Who's the audience? Now, this is tricky. Who's the audience? You think it's you? You think it's me? No. The triune God is the audience in worship. You see the, see the perspective difference? The triune God, not the people in the pews. Who's the cast? Ah, who's the cast? Well, there we get to get into the, to the, to the fray. There we get to get into it. All of creation, especially God's people. The, the psalmist calls all of creation to praise God. But we know some don't. But especially, that's our water to carry. The praise of God. That's the cast. 
What's the script? Of course, the Bible. The Bible tells us what to do and say. Remember last week we talked about the regular principle of worship and how it authorizes what kind of worship we should bring to God. And then finally, the stage. What's the stage? All the world is the stage. The universe, all of life, especially formal worship. When we come into this place on Sundays, on the Lord's Day, to bring worship to him. You see, the ministers, choirs, and ensembles role is that of prompters, not performers. Guiding the words and actions of the cast so that the audience of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, might thoroughly be pleased with the presentation. That's the big picture. Do you realize the impact and the difference that this kind of perspective can make in our worship? I want you to listen to um, a quote from, um, he used to be a professor at, uh, at RTS in Orlando, uh, Reformed Theological Seminary in Orlando, uh, Reggie Kidd. Uh, and I think he is, uh, I don't think he's, he's with, with the uh, uh, seminary any longer. But he wrote some um, several works on on uh, worship, and is uh, been, I've been at conferences in which he was a, one of the keynote speaker through the years. And this is what he said: When seen in the light of the person of Jesus, the church's lead worshiper. See, Jesus is the one really. The church's lead worshiper. Our squabbles over how to do it right, which group's aesthetics, aesthetics will be honored and which groups will be dishonored, take on their true measure. They are pathetically small-minded. You've seen it, haven't you? If you've been in a church, unless you've been on, on ice for the last you know, 10 or 20 years, You've seen it. People can get, when it comes to worship details and elements and how they're done, people can get, I mean, to the point of ready to have a Hatfields and McCoy. I mean, it, it, it becomes a food fight. You see, those things, in, if we keep the real focus, those things are, those are, should be way down the line. They're not worth getting all worked up over. Sometime long ago now, it's been many years, and I, I, I have um, read this maybe on one, maybe two occasions, I, I guess. I can't pinpoint exactly when, but somewhere in the last 10, 10 to 12 years, um, I know I've at least probably a, a, a given you this quote um, once or twice, so bear with me one more time. And, uh, and, and kind of out of coming out of, in a, in a book actually Reggie Kidd uh, wrote uh, on worship, it sort of, um, the title of that was With One Voice, and I think, or something, something similar to that. And um, as I read that book, and it was on some of my study leaves of trying to uh, carry on my own you know, worship of God uh, with my handy guitar uh, uh, somewhere around. Uh, I tried to make an attempt to write something 
um, and put it to a tune. I'm not going to sing it, don't worry. Um, but I want you just to think on these, on these, on these, um, the words here and the picture again of what, what worship is when Christ and Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the Father are the real focus. Um, I, I called my song this, and this is just two of the stanzas from it, with one voice. See the mosaic he is painting. Jesus, of course, I'm talking about. See the mosaic he is painting. Rich and poor, living and dead. Colors and hues beyond our dreaming. For this masterpiece our Jesus has bled. In other words, he's pulling together this thing from ancient to new from all kind of different colors and streams, all things that don't seem to go together, Jesus is creating this masterpiece. And then the chorus goes, with one voice, Christ is singing. With many songs, he comes to raise. In united voice, Jesus bringing to our Father all our praise. And the second line says, he calls us now, he calls us, his people, to join this chorus. Diverse voices they must bring. Not the same. Not everybody has the same voice. Not everybody. All the diversity coming to flow together for the worship of God. He calls us now to join the chorus. Diverse voices we must bring. The Savior's voice rejoicing over us. Each generation a new song sings. Old meets new, new meets old. They come together under the orchestration of Jesus Christ, our Savior. My friends, why do we come to worship? That's the question today. First and foremost, to glorify God, not ourselves. And then, secondarily, to edify one another, the people of God. Our worship is rendered, remember, to an audience of one. An audience of one. That's who our worship is rendered to. But in the gathering of many that participate in that act of giving him glory. And when God is then in his rightful place in worship, amazingly, we're going to find our joy and our refreshment and our renewal in him but it's got to be the focus kept right remember god put a god-shaped vacuum in us that only he can fill but we've got to look to him to fill it i hope we understand a little bit more today about why we worship stay tuned for our final installment next week let's pray father Lord, we do pray that you'll help us understand how the gospel drives and shapes us more. Father, next week, but Father, again, help us remember today of why we worship and what worship is all about. Father, we would, we would we ask you to have mercy on us that we have not always given you the glory. We've gotten caught up in ourselves and our own preferences sometimes over what we want to see you do. Father, keep us willing, looking, uh, eager to find ways that we can participate in your worship to your glory.
And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.